It's great to be here with you this morning in case we haven't had a chance to meet. My name is Josh Edwards and for those of you I haven't met yet, I welcome you and it's great to meet you. The last week and a half or so has been mixed emotions for likely many of you because school started. Yeah, all the parents like, yeah, my kids are gone. You know, it's mixed emotions because some of you with joy and such elation, for whatever reason, there's no judgment here. You kicked your, I mean, you sent your kids to school while also some of you with tears of sadness, maybe you sent your little one for the first time. This year was a little bit odd for my family. Not odd, just a little bit different. We're, we're, I have a senior, so we're experiencing the last firsts, right? We had the last first day of high school. Uh, I have four high schoolers, so I will accept all of your prayers. Um, <laughs> my kids go to Blue Ridge. Last couple of weeks, Pastor Bob has been representing Montrose, so I felt it only appropriate. Yeah, see, we, we got a whole Montrose, like, Little League section here. Um, <laughs> that was not planned. This is not a rivalry, but I have a microphone. Um, I, I get to coach uh, JV basketball, and I assistant coach on the varsity basketball team. So it's great to, to see that we have an opportunity to be out in our, our communities uh, there. Now, at Bridgewater, the last couple weeks, we have been in a series called Open House. And so if you're new to Bridgewater, maybe even this is your first Sunday here, or you've been checking us out, kicking the tires a little bit, you couldn't have picked a better series to come to because what we're doing is we're kind of peeling back the curtain and showing you why we do what we do. Why do we play the music that we play? Why do we wear jeans instead of a suit and tie up on the stage? Why do we have the kids' ministry that we have? Why in the rain are there men and women standing out in the parking lot pointing you to park your cars? Why do we do what we do? Well, it, it kind of is, is simple, but complex at the same time. We do what we do because of one command that Jesus gave us. Right before he left this earth, he said, make more and better disciples. That's what he told us to do. That's what he told his followers to do. And so we take that as how can we best make more and better disciples. And so we've been looking at different parts of a house using that analogy as we highlight different parts of our ministry here. The first week, uh, we highlighted the porch. Now, the porch is where you kind of entertain um, strangers. You meet people on your porch, right? That would be the equivalent of where you're at right now. This is for people who maybe have never been to church before, people who were just here to check it out, people who were promised a very good meal and so they came with you to Sunday morning church. This is where new people come. If you missed that series, if you, excuse me, if you missed that sermon, go to bridgewater.church and you can listen. Actually, you can listen to all of them. If you're joining us online, you can actually click the link that's going to be popping up in the chat there to listen to those um, podcasts. I actually come and attend and then I listen to it again because I want to make sure I don't miss anything. So I invite you to listen to it even if you're here with us this morning. We offer a porch-like setting because we believe that found people find people. 
That's one of our core values. That, 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 at the DNA of who we are. Now, last week, we invited you into our living room. See, that's where we build relationships, right? That's where we deepen those relationships. Your friends come and hang out in your living room. They don't stay on the porch always. If you've never invited someone into your living room, likely they're not one of your deep, close friends. Uh, The living room setting of our church is what we call our small groups. Small groups is an opportunity for you to get to know other people and, and to become better acquainted with the message of the gospel. We do that because we believe that life is better connected. And today, we're going to talk about the figurative kitchen of Bridgewater. We're going to talk about the kitchen because we believe that saved people serve people. The kitchen is where work gets done, right? You could do all kinds of other things throughout the house, but think of Thanksgiving morning. What happens? Oh, it's happening right there, right? That kitchen is popping. There is stuff going on in the kitchen. The kitchen is where work gets done. Since our mission is to make more and better disciples, we believe that there are several different ways that we can do that. And that's why we offer different opportunities. Some people, through practical teaching on a Sunday morning setting, will become a better disciple of Jesus. While other people grow so much stronger through that intimate relational setting of our small groups. But I have yet to find something that compares to becoming more like Jesus than serving him, than serving other people. Because when we think about it, Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to do what? To serve. Jesus came to serve Others. So when we say we want to make more and better disciples, a disciple is a, a little Jesus, an imitator of Jesus. So we say there's likely no better way to become like Jesus than to serve. It's impossible. And I don't say, I don't like extremes or definites, but it's impossible to follow Jesus and not serve others. And when we serve others, when we are actually doing that, we find ourselves in the greatest example of following Jesus. So today we're going to talk about that spiritual tool. One of the greatest spiritual tools on earth, serving others in the kitchen. This is something that the the Apostle Paul talked about it at great length. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians, a couple different uh, sections, but we're going to be starting in in chapter 12. And the Corinthian church received this letter because they were the most, arguably, the most dysfunctional church in the Bible. In case you needed some random Bible trivia knowledge, the most dysfunctional church in Scripture was the Corinthian church. And in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Paul starts off by saying, serving God isn't rocket science. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room to understand how to serve God. Maybe you come from a church background like I do where we did a spiritual inventory test. How many of you have ever done one of those? 
Okay, so like a maybe a 25%. That's basically what I expected. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many of you understood that test because likely that number would drop dramatically. And for those of you who have no idea even what a spiritual inventory test is, it's okay because Paul's about to tell you how you can serve. In verse 4, he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit who distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every, everyone, it is the same God at work. No, no matter how different you are, everyone who's following Jesus Christ has the same Spirit working within them. Verse 7, Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. This is the most important thing that you can get from today. All Christians, all followers of Christ, all of those of you who would say, I believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, all Christians are made to serve others. Paul writes to another church in Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Think of these verses. Think of those two verses like serving out of obligation versus serving on do, or doing a task on your own. As a dad and as a husband, I, I sometimes will enter the kitchen in my house and my wife will say, Josh, can you please unload the dishwasher? Now, I know I am unique, but my reaction sounds something like this. <sighs> I do so much. Why do I have to unload the dishwasher? Isn't that why we had kids? Now, if I walk in, that's, that's serving out of obligation, right? Being asked to do something or obliged to do something. Now, if I walk into the kitchen and say, honey, is there anything I can do? And she says, could you unload the dishwasher? My reaction is so much different, right? My response to that is completely different. Why? Because I asked if there was something I could do. I was serving on my own accord. Serving by obligation is like informing your kids that tomorrow's Labor Day. And guess what? We're going to labor. <laughs> That's serving out of obligation, right? Versus serving on your own. When you serve on your own, we feel good about ourselves, right? It, there's something that is a joy to me when I serve and I do something to help someone else. So when we think about this idea of serving, we're going to define serving as this. Seeing a need and then satisfying the need. Seeing a need and then fulfilling or satisfying that need. No surprise, there are many different needs 
when we look around, we don't have to look very far to realize there are so many different needs. But equally and thankfully, there are many different differences in our church. When I, when I look at all of you, I see so many different skill sets and so many different opportunities that you bring. When we look at a, a church, uniqueness should not surprise us. In fact, sameness is what should surprise us. So if all Christians are made to serve others, and serving others is seeing a need and satisfying it, how do you do it? How do you do it? And I think it's fairly simple. You offer what you have. Think about what you have. Think about what you can bring, and then you offer that. About 550 years before Jesus walked on this earth, there was a prophecy, and this prophecy foretold about this, this Messiah that would one day come, and he would make this entry into, into Jerusalem. He would, he would make this entry, what, what, the, what is called the triumphant entry, and he would ride, it was very specific, he would ride on the back of a donkey that had never been ridden before. When we think about that in kind of today's idea, that would be like the equivalent of if the president or, or if a king rolled up into downtown Montrose, you would expect to see blacked out SUVs, Range Rovers, bulletproof, right? Versus some guy rolling up in a moped saying, I'm the king, right? <laughs> Right? It's, it's fairly ridiculous. Just, just being blunt, it's fairly ridiculous. Well, this is, what Je- this is what we read in Mark chapter 11. As they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and I will send it back here shortly. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, go into town. Take a donkey. Take a colt. And if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it. And so we continue reading. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Now, when I I read scripture, of course, it's extremely important to read and understand what scripture says. I also enjoy reading what scripture doesn't say. What doesn't scripture tell us here? Now, allow me to to kind of interject what I believe Scripture doesn't say. The owner of that cult, or the people standing there, they could have said, well, this is a fine cult, top-of-the-line model, never been ridden before. We will be happy to let you take this cult for a price. We will offer you this cult. It's extremely rare. We don't read that. We don't understand that. What do we see and said? Instead, we understand that the disciples said the Lord needs it, 
And so what did they do? They let it go. They offered what they had. There was a need. They saw a need. They heard of a need, and they satisfied that need by offering what they had. So what has God given you? What do you have to offer? I believe, as a follower of Christ, as a follower and believer of God, Scripture tells us that we all have been given at least one gift, and likely we have more than one thing to offer. So that should create as many opportunities as possible. In my house, this is what my kitchen looks like. I'm going to put a picture up here. This is what my kitchen looks like in my house. Now, when I look at that picture, I see three distinct areas of service within this picture. Uh, Up in the foreground, we have the island. In the back, we have the stove. And then off to the side, we have a bench. Each of these highlight different parts of service. We have the out front and visible, which is the island. The island faces the table. It faces the living room. That's the out front and visible part of service. One of my kids enjoys the out front and visible part of service. If you know my kids, you know which one that is. In the back, we have the stove, which represents the behind the scenes area of service. The service that Gets the job done, but wants very little recognition and would likely not have anyone talk to them. One of my kids likes to serve in that way, and he's here today. He's here actually doing that right now. And then we have the relational side of service. The side that is is built in to integrate and, and connect with people while service and serving is happening. And that's where my wife shines in that relational serving. So again, this series and this sermon is designed to peel back the curtain. This, we're designed, we want to show you what we do. So in our church, we have opportunities to serve that fit these three areas. We have the out front, visible servants. We have the behind the scenes servants and then we also have the servants who serve relationally. Sometimes we don't even know what needs there are. So I'm going to put a list up here for you. We have a group that's called our first impressions team and those are the people, some of them right now this morning are standing out in the freezing cold rain serving. They are the parking crew, the the cafe workers, the greeters. Then we have an area called children's ministry. In that ministry, we have teachers and helpers and greeters, people to run the computer, people to lead singing. If you have the spiritual gift of rocking an infant, guess what? We have a ministry for you. We also have opportunities to lead small groups. Within our small group ministry, we actually have all three of these areas of service, out front, behind the scenes, and relational, all rolled into one ministry, serving our small groups. 
Maybe you're a great cook. We, we cook for new moms, people who are sick, or people who are, have experienced a loss. Maybe you have a gift, of, a musical gift. That doesn't mean you're only up here. We have a whole area in the back that serves in our tech, tech opportunity, or even in the online campus ministry. This week I was talking with Pastor Bob and I said, Pastor Bob, how many people does it take to make Sunday morning happen? So we're talking the first person to enter onto the parking lot to the last person to leave. How many people does it take? I want to see how many people you think it takes. So how many people do you think it takes? 40? 50? The number is 100. 100 people it takes in a perfect world situation to make Sunday morning happen. And here's, here's the kicker. That is just the Montrose campus. That's not even talking about the online campus. Do you know how many people we have on any given Sunday? And this is an approximate number. Do you know how many people we have on any given Sunday serve on a Sunday morning here? And I'm not going to make you guess. We have 85 people who serve, which is a great number. But as a banker, I know how to do some math. So we have 100 people that we need, and we have 85 people who come and serve regularly. We are deficient about 15 people. A couple months ago, Pastor Bob asked me if I would preach on this Sunday because he wanted to take the day off, which is fair. Do you know where Pastor Bob is right now? He's not sitting in, the, in, in a cabin, uh, you know, enjoying a lake. He's not at the beach somewhere. He's leading the two- and three-year-old classroom. Do you know why? Because we're 15 people short. Serving is seeing a need and filling that need. Some of us, many of us, all of us, in addition to serving in church, need to serve in other areas, like serve in our home. When we come out in public, we certainly give off a polished persona. Some of you Probably could polish it a little bit more. Um, but most of us polish up that persona pretty good, right? But when you go home, your wife, your kids, your sister, your brother, your grandparents, oh, they know who you are. They know the real you. Some of us need to change the real us and begin serving at home. Dads, you're the leader of your house. Husbands, you're the leader of your house. Jesus showed us that leaders serve. What specific way can you begin or continue to serve in your home? Maybe in your house, that means running the vacuum or unloading the dishwasher, right? Without being asked. Kids, Maybe for you, that means folding the laundry or feeding the animals without being asked. And I know for some of you, that is a monumental task to feed the animals that you have. We also need to be a servant in our workplace. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to become a workaholic or that doesn't mean that you need to work for free. But it does mean that you need to be kind and encouraging. You need to put the needs of other people 
ahead of your own. Maybe that means you bring in some baked goods for your coworkers, or if you work in a place where there are multiple shifts, maybe you come 10 minutes early to make sure that 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 previous shift can get out on time. Maybe you need to be a servant in your community. We We have a number of volunteer firefighters in our church, and that's a great way to serve the people in the community. But also, how can you serve those other firefighters? What can you do? Maybe you bring a coffee for your teacher, for your kid's teacher. We know you're already stopping at the Dunkin' Donuts. I've seen the line. Everyone in this building goes to Dunkin' Donuts. So grab an extra one, take it to the teacher. Maybe you need to bring some baked goods to the local police department. There's a basketball team I know of, and it's not my team, but there's a basketball team I know of that whether they win or lose... No matter what the score was, whether they're home or away, after the game is over, the entire team walks the the entire gym, the bleachers, and they gather every piece of trash, they gather every water bottle, whether home or away, and dispose of it. They are being trained to serve other people. Whatever it is you can do, do it. If you like college football, this week was a great weekend. We saw some great activity last night, right? Some great college uh, games. You know, church has been described by many as a football game. There's 22 guys tired and on the field working. And 50,000 people who need some exercise (laughs) sitting in the stands watching those people work. People describe church that way. The majority of people just watching the minority work. You don't have to be a world-class servant. You just have to be following Jesus and be willing to use whatever God has given you. Maybe that means you make up a ministry. We have a woman in our church who sends birthday cards to the kids on their birthday. That's not an official Bridgewater ministry. We have a group that meets at 8 a.m. every Sunday and prays for our church, prays for our leaders. That's not an official Bridgewater ministry. Joe Winkelbach prays with half a dozen men Wednesday morning at 6 or 7 a.m. in the old church building. You know what spiritual gifts you need to be participant in that ministry? You have to have the ability to get up early. And you have to have the ability to probably have some sort of conversation. That's not an official Bridgewater ministry. But what if I don't know what my gifting is? What if I don't know what I have to offer? I love when your questions fit right in with my notes. This is what a lot of people struggle with. And Paul continues to address this to the church in Corinth in verse 8. He says this, To one... Remember, he's talking about these gifts that are given, and they're given by the Spirit of God, and they're given for all of us who are believers in God. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, the gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, and speaking in different tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these 
are the work of the one and the same spirit. And he distributes to them, to each one, just as he determines. Now we know from scripture that this is not an exhaustive list. There's many lists throughout scripture. There's many people throughout scripture who have different lists or different gifting than what is found in this list. So if I were writing scripture, and I'm kind of stepping away here a little bit, because this is not scripture. You'll, you'll know why in a second. But if I was writing scripture, it might sound something like this. To another, he has a minivan. To another, she makes killer brownies. To another, he has lots of tools and the know-how to use them. To another, they have a big couch and central air conditioning. As we read these lists, sometimes we get caught up in the, that sounds too hard I certainly can't do that. That's above my pay grade. I don't have the knowledge or ability to even understand what those words mean. Well, I'm going to tell you that there is one that is greater than all of those. There is one listing that is greater than all of those. And if we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, many of you will know what it is. It's love. The greatest is love. Paul says. So what do you do if you don't know what gift you have to offer? You love people. You help someone. You do what is needed. You do whatever you can. You do something. Something to think about. Some people, maybe like your kids... They go to the kitchen to be served, right? I mean, they walk in, they see mom already making dinner, doing the dishes, helping with homework, planning out this week's menu, and in walks little Johnny, and Johnny says, can I get some juice? Now, what does mom do? She gets Johnny juice. Now, is Johnny wrong for wanting juice? No, Johnny's not wrong. Because he's young, he's immature, he doesn't have the knowledge or the ability to get his own juice. Now, what happens if Johnny's 23, and Johnny's living in the basement, and Johnny rolls upstairs, and the same scenario happens. Johnny sees mom taking care of all these things, and Johnny says to mom, Yo, can I get some juice? (laughs) What would we say to Johnny? Get your own juice. Get mom some juice, right? From that bottle, right? Mom needs some juice. Get your own juice. Think of other people instead of yourself. There's nothing that my son Z likes more than getting his mom some water from a water bottle or taking the dishes. He loves to serve others, we are hoping that he continues to, inst- we are trying to instill within him the desire to think of other people ahead of himself. As a Christ follower, God made all of us to serve others. And we serve others by seeing a need and then satisfying that need. We satisfy that need by offering whatever We have, and we do this because we love. When we love other people in this way, 
we point them to Jesus. There's a story of a missionary. He, he went overseas to this tribe, and this tribe had never had anyone come and tell them about Jesus. They didn't have the Bible interpreted in their language. And so this young man, he went overseas to serve in this way. Now, as a missionary, often we don't think of part of what they have to do. They have to, they have, to have some level of accounting because they have to understand how to keep books. They have to be able to communicate back to their sending agency. And so in this particular case, this young man was great at part of his job, but not so great at the accounting or the reporting back. And so this mission agency said, hey, we just don't think this is a great place for you. We don't think this is a great fit. And so they terminated his his ministry. A few years later, there was a young woman and she came to that same area, that same town, and she began telling and teaching them about Jesus. And she said, Jesus is the man who cares for the needy. Jesus is the man who hears of a need and helps in that way. Jesus is a man who sits with the hurting. Jesus is a man who loves people. And the people's eyes they got really wide. And they said, we know Jesus. He lives over here. Because that young missionary, he stayed. And to those people, he was Jesus. He, he showed them the love of Christ by caring for their needs, by helping the sick, by supporting the orphans. They saw Jesus by the way he acted. If someone were to come to your school or your home or your workplace and begin discussing or talking about Jesus, would they say, I know Jesus. He works in that cubicle over there. I know him because he's been living here for years. God calls each of us as followers of Christ to serve him and serve others. And we do that because we love. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. God, it's a privilege to serve. God, it's a, it's a great opportunity to serve as we share the love of Christ with other people. God, and I know for some, this idea of serving is new, or it's foreign, or it's, it's scary. God, but we are given such love by you and your son. And you've given us such a great opportunity to share that love with other people. God, maybe today, there are people who need to take their next step. People who need to step out. People who need to share the love of Christ by giving that love to someone else. Maybe it's in the form of a ride to work. Maybe it's in the form of a baked good. Maybe it's in the form of a volunteer hour or two. God, may we be a church of people who are not described as spectators needing exercise, but God, we are described as people on the field, in the game, serving you. God, it's a privilege to 
love you. You give us that opportunity freely. May we do so. May we share that love with others in a way pleasing to you. Amen.